Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. And um, we have been working our way through the book of Matthew, uh, gleaning things from this gospel. And uh, hopefully, prayerfully, we'll continue to glean some things as we work our way on through this chapter. Amen. Definitely, definitely feel like there are some matters of importance to be found in these verses of Scripture. And even as I began working on them, I, I realized that it would be very, very easy for me to not make a whole lot of progress today. Uh, in fact, I, as I started working on this lesson, I realized that um, it would be possible for me not to get more than one verse done today. And I'm going to try to do more than that, but I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to come out. Um, but there is, uh, there is a lot that we need to know and understand. Matthew 25 is an extremely, extremely important chapter uh, for the church of the living God in this hour. In this hour. If there has ever been a time that the people of God needed Matthew 25, it is now. And I am more convinced of that today than I have ever been. I believe, I believe that in his foreknowledge, Jesus gave us Matthew 25 for this very hour. I really do. I believe that he was looking ahead in time to the last days well, the Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. And I believe that he was looking at the very day in which we live when he gave us the message of Matthew 25. We talked about that some last Sunday, and we're going to talk about it some more again today. Uh, as a text, we will read verses 31 through 33. Because I believe that these verses actually uh, encapsulate the main idea of this entire chapter. Verses 31 through 33, Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations... And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on the left. Amen. When the Son of Man shall come, when the Son of Man shall come, there's going to be a great separation that takes place when the Son of Man shall come. And I believe that his coming is nigh at hand. I really believe it is nigh at hand. I believe, 
I believe that the trumpet could sound any moment and call us out of this place. And I pray that you're ready today. I pray that you are ready to meet the Lord. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us today. Could we do that, everybody? Let's, let's everyone pray together right now, Lord. name we need you today let's worship the Lord together everyone right now can we let's give God some praise in this house let's glorify the Lord together let's magnify the Lord together everyone praise God God bless you you may be seated please bear with me as I do a brief review um, of the book of Matthew. We feel obligated to do this each week. And I know those of you that have been uh, here for each lesson, it must become extremely redundant for you to hear it week in and week out. But I trust that you understand that with each passing week, there is generally someone who has chosen to join us that has not uh, been with us throughout this entire study. And it's just difficult to jump into the middle of a chapter and start dealing with that chapter if you don't have the background uh, as to what we've covered up until this point. There are some things that must be understood before we can really understand the book of Matthew and especially before we can understand Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 is perhaps um, one of the best known chapters in Matthew. Uh, because of, the, of a couple of parables that are here, one we talked about last week and one, the Lord willing, we're going to start talking about this week. But, but yet, really, to really understand this chapter, there's so much background that you must first comprehend. Um, as I pointed out every week, the first thing you've got to understand is that Matthew was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost specifically to a Jewish audience. He was trying to convince the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the promised king that would come. And so he uh, appeals to Jewish scripture throughout his writings. Uh, you will repeatedly see him using phrases like that the scripture might be fulfilled or uh, as it was written by the prophets or something to that effect because he is reminding the Jews that their own prophets said this day would come and now it was being fulfilled or was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, as you look at the book of Matthew as a whole, you see that the first 20 chapters of Matthew deal with the first uh, 30 years of Jesus' life. 20 chapters cover 30 years. And uh, so that's, that's covering a lot of territory. But then when you get to chapter 21, everything slows down to a crawl. And chapters 21 through 28, those eight chapters deal with the last seven days of Jesus' life. 30 years in 20 chapters, 
seven days in the last eight chapters. And so these uh, last seven days uh, of his ministry on earth, we call the Passion Week. It began uh, with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then it will conclude uh, with his triumphal exit from the tomb when he was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And so that's where we are when we are here in chapter 25. But we're actually seeing chapters 23, 24, 25, the last messages or lessons that Jesus would teach in his earthly ministry. These were his final words. These were the concluding messages. He knew he was about to be taken out of this world, and so these things are of extreme importance to him. Now, I pointed out that if you look at these things, what you see in chapter 23, there was a warning against hypocrisy. In chapter 24, uh, there is uh, the Lord outlining the signs of the end time. And then we get to chapter 25. And in chapter 25, he really, uh, I guess we could say it this way, he's really taking both of those two thoughts and combining them. Because what you see in chapter 25 um, is the Lord's warning uh, to those who are a part of the church. Chapter 25 is not dealing with sinners. It's not dealing with sinners but it is dealing with those who claim to be the children of God. Amen. Now, as I said, our text, uh, verses 31 through 33, to me, encapsulate the idea or the concept of this entire chapter. Let's read those verses again, and let me show you what I mean. Verses 31 through 33. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and the, all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be ga gathered all nations, and he shall separate. And he shall, and he shall separate. Separate. He shall separate them. One from another. One from another. As a sheep divideth his sheep from the goats. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the, on the left. Now, now listen. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm trying to convey to you, that as you read Matthew 25, you've got to understand Jesus is saying there are those who claim to be a part of his flock that are going to be separated on that day. He said in another place, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in. Not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is going to be saved. Hallelujah. And so it is important for us to understand Jesus is not dealing with the separation of the saved from the sinner, but he's dealing with the separation of those who claim to be saved and those who are truly saved. And we want to be careful that while we are in his flock, that we are his sheep and not goats. Hallelujah. You know, it's really hard to lead goats. Goats are extremely stubborn, very hard-headed, very strong-willed. Sheep, on the other hand, are easily led. 
And we have to ask ourselves, which of those two describes us best? Because the day is going to come that Jesus is going to forever separate the sheep, those who would willingly, easily follow from the goats, the strong-willed, the unteachable, the stubborn. Hallelujah. And so the theme of chapter 25 is not just the return of the Lord, but the fact that at his return, there's going to be a separation among those who follow him because some of his followers will have been faithful and others will have been unfaithful. And that's the idea. And, and even last week, we talked about the parable of the ten virgins. I pointed out to you how that these were ten virgins. It, this is not, he's not talking about saints and sinners. But they were all called virgins. They were all considered pure. And there's only one way to be made pure. And that's through obedience to the gospel. These are all church people, if you please. These are all people who consider themselves to be Christians. But we find out that in this parable, we looked at it last week, in the parable of the ten virgins, only half of those who claimed to be Christians actually went to be with the bridegroom. Now, I don't think that Jesus was setting a literal percentage. I don't think that you can walk into any church and say only 50% of you are going to make it. But I do think what Jesus was saying was there's a lot bigger percentage that are not going to make it than what you think. There are a whole lot more folks that have got themselves convinced they are saved than those that are truly saved. Amen. And that was the whole idea. We talked about all that last week. And now we're going to pick up where we left off. We're ready to begin now with verse number 14. Jesus now begins a second parable here in this chapter. The first one was the parable of the ten virgins. Now he is going to deal with a second parable. And this is also a very well-known parable, perhaps not as well-known as the ten virgins, but it is fairly well-known if you've been around church any length of time. You've heard somebody make reference, at least, to parts of this parable. So let's, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 25 and, and open your Bibles. This is Bible study time, but open your Bibles. Follow along with us. Uh, Matthew 25, verse number 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Now, <clears throat> This is the verse, believe it or not. I mean, that doesn't really say a whole lot when you just look at it on the surface, does it? King of Heavens as a man traveling into a far country called his servants, delivered his goods. I would dare say that in teaching and preaching this parable, this verse probably gets less attention than the other verses of this parable. This is the parable, if, if I were to take the time to read the whole thing, this is the parable where Jesus gives one man five talents and another man two talents and another man one talent. And then he comes back on the day of reckoning and says, what have you done with what I've given you? And um, we see where the man who had five has earned five more. 
The man who had two has earned two more. The man who had one went and dug a hole in the earth and buried his talent. This is why I say you probably heard many, many lessons, sermons, um, discussions on parts of this parable. You probably heard many people talk about burying your talent. And that's where this comes from. It's from this parable. Because this man had one talent and he literally buried it in the earth. Um, and so there's a whole lot in this parable that, that's been preached about, that's been taught about, that's been discussed. And, and I would dare say that this verse probably doesn't get a whole lot of attention because it just kind of introduces the idea. But as I got to looking at this verse, I, I realized there's a whole lot more here than, than what we, I think, have noticed in time past. And honestly, as I got to looking at this verse and got to, uh, I started dissecting this verse and studying into this verse, I began to realize if I wasn't careful, I might not get any farther than this verse today. And that still may be the case. But, but let's look at it. There are some things that we need, to, we need to understand. The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Now, I think, I think that all of us, uh, or, or at least most of us, can readily understand the implication of what the Lord says. A man who's traveling to a far country calls his servants, gives them his goods. What's Jesus talking about? But what's about to happen in the life of Jesus? Well, he, he's about to die. He is about, after his death, comes the resurrection, and then what? He ascends to heaven. He is traveling to a far country. Right? We understand. This is what is about to take place. And Jesus is saying to his followers, let me tell you what's going to happen here. So he's, he is traveling to a far country. In fact, many, many, many months ago, we dealt with Matthew 13, and there were seven parables there. And you'll remember that in six of those parables, there was a man that was doing the work in the parables. Does anybody remember that? Anybody remember that far back, the seven parables of Matthew 13? And, and uh, there was the merchant man um, that found the pearl of great price. There was the man who found the, the treasure hid in a field. Um, there, the, it was the, the tares among the wheat. It, it was the four kinds of soil. Anybody remember us dealing with that? And I pointed out to you there was a man in six of the seven parables. And the man in all of those parables, if you're going to interpret them correctly, the man was Jesus Christ. He was giving a parable about himself. Now, many people have tried to pull some of those, such as the Pearl of Great Price, the treasure hidden in the field, and tried to make us the man in the field. But to do so is to take those passages out of context. The context demands it was Jesus. And, and I don't have time to go back and reteach all of that. Uh, I don't even know what lesson that was. If you're really interested in hearing it and you didn't hear it, 
come see me after service. I'll do my best to find out for you which lesson it was, and we'll try to get you a copy of the CD where we dealt with Matthew 13 and the parables that were there. But having said that, I think that it is safe for us to assume that once again, it is Jesus who is the man in this parable. And he's traveling to a far country, and he calls his servants. And he delivers to them his goods. Now, I'm going to tell you, I got excited when I got to looking at this. Because though Jesus left us physically, he did not leave us spiritually. And he did not leave us, he did not leave us ill-equipped. And he did not leave us poverty-stricken in a spiritual sense. But Jesus knew that the work he had begun had to be carried out by his church. And so he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give to you my goods. Hallelujah. Now, the first thing that I thought about in all of this was Abraham. I thought about Abraham. I want you to go over to Genesis chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. Genesis 25, verses 5 and 6. Read for me. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Uh-huh. But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. Now, you may not have caught this, but, you know, Abraham, Abraham began to divide his goods among his children. And, and, you know, again, a very common misconception about Abraham. Some folks think he only had Isaac as a son. Well, that's not true. Some folks think he only had Isaac and Ishmael. That's not true. After the death of Sarah, Abraham took another wife named Keturah, and he had children by her. So Abraham had many children. But here's what the Bible says. Unto the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts. You see that? He gave gifts. He gave them a little token. You are my child. I'm going to give you a little something. But can you go back and, and put verse 5 back up there again? Look, look at this. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Isaac didn't just get a few little gifts. Isaac didn't just get a few little trinkets. Hallelujah. You know, it's, it's kind of like I've heard, I've, I've heard of these men that, that, that would have uh, some, some situation um, a problem in the family, and, and after they die, you get to reading the will, and, and he says, and unto uh, Herkimer, I leave one dollar. You know, you've heard of those situations, you know. It, somebody gets everything the man owns, but here's this one that was a problem that he, he struggled with that never really would line up. I give him one dollar. In case I didn't give him anything, I did give him a dollar. Well, that's kind of the way Jesus was, or Abraham was to all of these other sons. I'm going to give you a dollar. I'm going to give you something. I've got a little gift for you here. You are my son. 
But there is one son that was the child of promise. This was the miracle baby. Hallelujah. Abraham was not able uh, any longer to have children. Uh, the Bible says that his, he, he considered not his own body now dead. He was no longer able to have children. But God performed a miracle. And Isaac was the child of promise. And Abraham said to Isaac, you see, listen. And in fact, the scripture is very clear. I don't want to get too bogged down in all this. Unless I need to. And I may need to. I don't know. But even with Ishmael, even with Ishmael, Ishmael was not the child of promise. Ishmael was born of Hagar. But God made it very clear to Abraham. Hagar is not the right mama. Your seed has to come through Sarah. The only child that's going to get the fullness of the promise is the one that has the right mother. Well, hallelujah. Yeah, there's a lot of kids that can claim Abraham as their father. But there was only one that could claim Sarah as his mother. And the one that had Sarah as his mother didn't just get some gifts. He got everything that Abraham owned. It all went to the child that had the right mother. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 26. Let me show you something here. But Jerusalem, which is above, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Is free. Which is which the mother, is the mother of, us all. of us all. Let me tell you something. The real mother, the church, the real mother, amen, comes from Jerusalem. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people out there that call God their father. And I'm telling you, some of them have a few gifts. But unto the church that has the right mother, the mother that came from Jerusalem, unto the church, we don't just have a few gifts, but to us, he has given all. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, how do we know whether it's Sarah or Hagar? How do we know if we've got the right mama here? How do we know if we're born of the church that is the right mama? Well, I tell you what, let's go back to Jerusalem and find out some, some characteristics of mama and see if you look anything like her. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they uh -huh. were all with one accord. They were all with one accord, one place. One place. And suddenly there, suddenly came, there a came a sound from heaven, from heaven as, as of a rushing mighty wind. wind. And it filled it all the filled house, the where, they house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven, cloven tongues, tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm talking about what happened in Jerusalem. I'm talking about our true mama. I'm going to tell you, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not of the true mama. Oh, that's judgmental, preacher. No, I'm just looking at family characteristics. I'm just going through some spiritual DNA. 
This is what was in mama's DNA. She talked in tongues. Where did all this happen? Verse 5. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem. Where? Jerusalem. Where? Jerusalem. We're talking about Jerusalem here. We're talking about the right mama. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, what else do we find out about our mama? What other DNA do we find in our mama? Go down to Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 39. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Then Peter said said unto them, repent and be baptized, every every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This is my Mama's DNA. In Mama's DNA. I didn't read anything about accept the Lord as your personal Savior. Mama's DNA. I didn't read anything about confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you're forever saved. Not in Mama's DNA. It might be in Keturah's. Might be in Hagar's, but that's not in Sarah's DNA. Are you hearing me today? But in Sarah's DNA, this is what I find. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Not saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but in the name of Jesus Christ. That was Mama's DNA. And you've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's mama's DNA. So I'm telling you, yes, there are people out there that have some gifts. Are you following me? There are some people out there that have some gifts that call God their father. They see some miracles. They see some healings. They see some things happen. Because you see, Our Father gave them gifts, but to the church. He didn't just give gifts. He gave all. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, the church has everything we need to accomplish the will of God on the earth. The church is not struggling. The church is not in, uh, in, in disrepair. The church is not going down. The church is not dying. The church has everything it needs to do the work of God. I'm trying to preach to us today. It's time for us to recognize that before Jesus ever left, he made sure he had made an investment. He made sure there was a proclamation. I'm going to see to it that my church has all my goods. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, he gave a few gifts, a few gifts, just a few gifts to the other children. But he gave all to Isaac. See, 
as I, as I started looking at this, I, I saw one of the problems with these other groups that have a few gifts is really that's all they have is just a few gifts. They don't have all. You know, God has given us all. He's given us all. Now, there are two sets of gifts that are specifically mentioned in the scripture. And I'm talking about the church, the true church should have all of these. Not just one or two, but all of these. The true church. Praise God. So let's, let's look at, there's two sets of gifts that are specifically mentioned. First of all, there are the nine spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Concerning spiritual gifts. I want to say spiritual gifts. All right, this is the first category of gifts. Now, what are those gifts? Let's go down to verses 8 through 10. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge. The same spirit. To another, faith by the faith. same spirit. To another, the gift of healing by the same spirit. Gifts of healing. To another, the working of miracles. Working of miracles. To another, prophecy. Prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds diverse of tongues. Diverse kinds of, of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And then the interpretation of tongues. Of tongues. Now, 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 these are the nine spiritual gifts. And why are these spiritual gifts given to the church? Well, let's, let's read verse 7 of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit to, with all. He's given to every man to, to profit, to profit. The word profit simply means for the common good of the church. So God has given to the church Nine spiritual gifts for our common good. Hallelujah. If we're going to accomplish the work of God on earth, we, we need all nine of these gifts in operation. Not just one or two. We need all nine of these gifts in operation. For the common good of the church. Hallelujah. For the good of the church. And I don't have time to teach on what each of these means and what the gift is and how it works and how it operates. Um, somewhere in the past, I have taught a series of lessons on that very subject. And you can find that on our website. Go back and find that and uh, listen to it. Download it for free. Listen. But, but I dealt with it. I taught on it and explained each of these gifts of the Spirit. But we need all of them. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, too many churches have one or two, and that's about it. And even those are very limited in their use and their operation. And I'm not being critical. I'm trying to challenge us that if we're really going to say we are a part of the true church, then we need all. Paul told us we ought to be coveting the best gifts. We need to be praying regularly for God to use us in the gifts of the Spirit. We need them right here. Hallelujah. Now, there's another set of gifts. And I think, again, this is where 
those that have got Hagar or Keturah for a mama, they kind of like talking about these spiritual gifts. But there's another set of gifts they really don't like all that much. And let me show you what those gifts are. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. He led captivity captive. And gave gifts and gave unto men. gifts unto men. Now what were these gifts? Verse 11. And he gave some apostles. These are the gifts he gave. And some prophets. Apostles and prophets. And some evangelists. Evangelists. And some pastors. Pastors. And teachers. Teachers. See, the true church has all. Hallelujah. And this is where some, some of them like that tongue-talking business. Some of them like that faith business. Some of them like that miracle business. Now, now that's good stuff. We, we like that. We, we have miracles in our church. Well, I'm glad you do. But I want to know something. Do you have a pastor? Do you have an evangelist? Do you have a teacher? The question is, how effective is the ministry in your church? Well, because a lot of churches just have a hireling. That's right. There's a lot of churches in this day and age where the church board tells a preacher what he can and can't preach, puts limits on what he can do. Don't get on sin. Don't deal with sin. Don't tell anybody they're doing wrong. That might drive somebody away. Well, I'm going to tell you something. What needs to happen in this hour is more men need to get some backbone and get up and preach against sin. It might drive some people away, but I'll tell you what else it might do. It might drive some people to an altar to where they'll find a place of repentance and get their lives straightened out. I'm sick and tired of watered-down sermons that don't really say anything, don't really accomplish anything. That's not what God wants in his church. God wants the, the full ministry in operation in his church. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Now, the, the spiritual gifts were given for profit. Remember that? Given for profit. But look at what the ministry gifts were given for. Verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. Not just for profit. Not just for our common good. But for our perfecting. Yes. In order for us to become everything that God wants us to be, we've got to have the ministry. And I'm not just preaching to you today. I'm preaching to me today. I've got to have a pastor in my life. I've got to have ministry in my life. I've got to be willing to hear what a man of God says. I've got to submit myself to the preached word of God in order for me to become what I need to be. The word perfecting here in this verse, in the original, means for the complete furnishing for the complete furnishing of the church. It carries the connotation of setting everything in order. The church can never be set in order 
without the help of the ministry. Your life will never be set in order. I'm telling you, you're going to live a life of disorder, a life of confusion, until you've got ministry in your life. Until you've got a man of God that can do to you like Nathan did. Point his finger in your face and say, you're the one. You're guilty. Hallelujah. You know, most of us need that at some point in our life. None of us like it, but most of us need it. In fact, I would go so far as to say, um, all of us need it. Well, praise God. I, I have yet to meet anybody who didn't need it once in a while. Every one of us needs somebody at some time to say, hey, you're headed the wrong direction. You need to stop and rethink where you're going. You need to stop and think about what's going on in your life. You need to stop and, and reassess your values. You've gotten off course somewhere. You know, I heard a man explaining one time, and he went into great detail about, about all that is involved in trying to get a, a spaceship to the moon. And we went by this last week, went um, close to Cape Canaveral where they, they launched those things. And, and I heard a man talking about uh, all of the science that is involved in getting that rocket to actually land on the moon. And, and he talked about how that if, if that ship gets off even just a fraction of a degree, when it, when it starts to leave the earth, that fraction of a degree, by the time it travels over those thousands and thousands of miles, it, it won't even come close to the moon. And so he, he talked about how that throughout that process, there are many people that are constantly correcting that thing because it's, it's, going, it's going to get off. It's going, it's going to get off. Somewhere, the forces around it, the, the pressures around it, the atmosphere that it's in, something about it, the lack of gravitation, whatever, is going to affect that ship and it will get off course if left to itself. But there are many people who are constantly turning knobs and punching buttons and, and, and making adjustments and, 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 and what they're doing is they're getting it back on course. And I'm telling you that between here and heaven, every one of us at some point in our life are going to get a little off course. Every one of us will. It's a fact of human nature. We all are going to get off course at some point in our life. And so you know how we get back on course? Through the preaching of the word. Hallelujah. Through the preaching of the word. Through having a man of God that we submit ourselves to that can tell us, hey, 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 straighten up a little bit. You need to correct this now. You need to correct this. Hallelujah. Don't ever resent that. Don't ever resent that. Let me show you something. Let me show you how important the ministry is in your life. Let me show you this. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. All right, now, now look. For time's sake, I, I, I don't have time to, and you can, you can write these scriptures down, go home and read them. I'm not trying to, to cut anything out of it. I'm just trying to save a little time here. But here's what I want you to see. This statement is made without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
So everyone agrees there is no way you can please God if you don't have faith. Right? Everybody agrees with that? That's, that's Bible, right? You cannot please God without faith. Okay, so how do we get faith? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, so the only way you can have faith is through hearing the word of God. Without faith, you can't please God, but the only way you get faith is by hearing the Word of God. So how do you hear? What's he talking about when he talks about hearing the Word of God? Well, let's go to Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they and hear, how shall they hear without, a preacher? without a preacher? Now, have you seen this progression? Have you, have you followed this through? Can't please God without faith. Can't get faith without hearing the word. You can't hear the word without a preacher. And that's what the Bible says. And so th this whole idea, well, you know, I don't have to have a church. I just, I live for God on my own. I can, I can get what I need. I can pray. I can talk. Well, I hope you are praying and talking to God. I hope you are reading your Bible at home. You need to be. You need to be doing that. But I'm here to tell you, you're going to get off course if you don't have a preacher in your life. I've seen some good men, good men, good ladies get some crazy ideas. I've seen praying people be convinced God spoke to them when it was no more the voice of God than anything. Yes, but they really believed it. And you know what saved them? They submitted themselves to a man of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Church, this is not optional. If we are going to be equipped, if we are truly going to say we are the children of Sarah, we're the children of promise, we're the children of the true mother church, then we're going to have to not just have a few little gifts that we like, but we're going to have to have all that the Father bestowed upon his church. Well, hallelujah. You cannot please God without a preacher. 1 Corinthians 1 and 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. God chose preaching to save them that believed believe. That's God's choice. You know, it may be a flawed method in the eyes of some because we're human. Every preacher is human. There's none of us that have wings on our back and a halo on our head. And because we're human, we can make mistakes. But it's still God's plan. And I don't read anywhere in the scripture that God's got a plan B. I don't read anywhere that God has an alternative. You know, if this fails, then let's do this. God said, this is what we're going to use. Well, hallelujah. Preaching is what saves us. And if the church is going to be what God wants us to be, we need both sets of gifts in full operation. 
We need the gifts of the Spirit, and we need the gifts of the ministry. And then we'll have all his goods. Hallelujah. Let's thank the Lord this morning, can we? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me, uh, let me see how much ground I can cover in just a few more moments. If you'll, if you'll allow me, I want to see if I can get a little bit farther into this, into this parable here today. Um, let's look again at Matthew 25. Now, he gave, as he got ready to go on his journey, he gave unto them his goods. Now, let's look specifically at how he divides this up. Verse 15, Matthew 25, verse 15. All right, projector went out. That just happens, praise God. That's why you got a Bible at your pew. So, amen. The good thing about it is we're going verse by verse in one chapter, so you don't have to look anything up. Once you find Matthew 25, then it's a matter of just following along, so it makes it very easy. All right, so let's, let's see. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. Okay, now let's talk about this for just a minute. To everyone according to his several ability. The word several, um, as it's translated here in the King James, actually in the original is simply own, according to his own ability. Okay? So, so every man had divided to him according to his own ability, or the word ability there is in the Greek dunamis, it's power. Every man had something given to him based upon his own power or ability. So here's what I see, that God, before he starts distributing his goods, he knew his servants. He knew what they could do, what they were not capable of doing. He knew their limitations. He knew their talents. He knew their abilities. And God distributed to them based upon their own abilities. Um, I, I can tell you that, first of all, this is not a popular way of doing things in today's society. The The... The main thrust of today's society can be summed up in one word, fairness. Isn't that what we're hearing from everyone? Fairness. You've got to be fair. It's not fair that there are rich people in the world who have too much and starving people who don't have enough. That's not fair. It's not fair that one person has insurance and another person does not. That's not fair. Uh, it's not fair that one person would, would, would be considered the winner of a game and someone else considered the loser. That's not fair. Not really, I mean, that's what's being promoted today. That's, that's, that's the idea and the concept. Fairness. It's all about fairness. 
we have to be fair in what we do. Got to be fair. Well, can I tell you that when God sits down and he's got a total of eight talents and three people to divide them among, and he gives one person five and one person two and one person one, most people today would say, that's not fair. Why did I only get one and he got five? Come on, there are some of you sitting in this place that that's exactly what you would say. If, if I were to sit down today, if, if, if I were to start handing out gifts today, and I gave some of you five and some of you two and some of you one, there would be people who walk out of here mad. It's not fair. Let's be honest. It's not you showed preference. You gave somebody more than you gave me. That's not fair. Well, can I tell you, God was the first one to do this. But God did it not on the principles of fairness, but on the principles of ability. God said there are some people that can't handle five. And God's not going to be wasteful. So he's not going to give you five just so you can feel good about yourself. If you can only handle one, then he's just going to give you one. But here's what you need to understand. If God only gave you one, God sized you up and knew you could handle that one. Now you need to do something with the one he gave you. I don't find the guy with two throwing a fit. You know, the other man got more than twice as much. This guy gets two. The man next to him got five. That's more than twice as much. But did the man with two sit around and whine and cry? Well, I don't understand why he gets five and I only get two. That's not fair, God. That's not fair. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He took his two and did something with it. Well, I'm preaching to us today. This is part of that perfecting process. It may not be real comfortable, but it's, it's the way it is. God's already determined how much power or ability you have to do the work he expects you to do. And so God invested in you as much as you can handle. Now you need to do something with what God invests in you. Two of the recipients brought a good return. Uh, let's read verses 16 and 17. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded, it, traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. He gained two. Now I'm telling you what, they, they, that's a pretty good return on the investment, is it not? I mean, they doubled their money. And by the way, you do understand that the word talent here does not mean the ability to sing and play. And that's not what talent here means. Talent here was a measurement, a, a weight of money. When he gave a talent of money, it's like a talent of gold, a talent of silver. It was a certain weight, certain measurement. And he measured out a certain amount and he gave five measures to one man, two measures to another, and one measure to another. 
And the man with five took those five measures and whatever he did with it, he did something that by the time that his Lord got back, he didn't just have five, he had 10. And the man who started with two, by the time his Lord got back, he didn't just have two, he had four. Now that's great. But the other man, the other man, read verse 18. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and, his, and hid his Lord's money. He received one and he went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Now, I don't know exactly why he did it. He does later on, he tells his Lord, I was afraid. I'm not sure what it was he was afraid of. Um, maybe, maybe he was afraid that people would laugh at him because he only got one. I don't want people to know I only have one talent. So rather than use the one, I'm just going to hide it. I'll just keep it here. I'll keep it safe. I won't lose it. I'm going to protect it, but I'm not going to do anything with it because I don't want anybody to know that that's all I'm capable of handling. I don't know. I don't know if that's what he was afraid of. Um, maybe, maybe he was afraid that, you know, if I do this with the money, I might lose it. If I do this with the money, I might lose it. I'm just afraid I'm going to make the wrong decision. So he made no decision at all. Now, can I tell you that making no decision is a decision? Does that make sense? That's why even when we sit in a service and an altar call is given and somebody says, well, I, I don't want to decide today. Well, you just decided. You decided to reject God's offer today. Doesn't mean a permanent rejection, but for today, you made a decision. Not deciding requires a decision. Hallelujah. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'll make the wrong decision. I'm afraid I'll, whatever it was, he was afraid. And so he simply took what he was given and he buried it. Now, let's read verse 19. I'm going to try to get through this very quickly here. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Another way to translate the phrase after a long time would be after much delay. I'd say 2,000 years is probably, probably qualifies for much delay. I'd say that qualifies for a long time. After much delay, the Lord of those servants came and said, it's time now to get out the books and let's see what you've done with what I've given you. So let's read. We're going to take several verses here, verses 20 through 23. Let's read those. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, well done, well done, thou good and faithful, thou good and faithful servant. servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. All right, now, now let's stop for just a minute. And I want you to see what the Lord says to him. 
I only gave you five, and five's not really a lot. But here's what I've seen out of you, that you took what I did give you, and you managed it well. And because you managed it well, I know I can trust you with more. Can I tell you the reason why God does not answer some of your prayers? Just to be honest with you, the reason why some of your prayers don't get answered is because you haven't handled well the things he's already done for you. If you will show him that you can be faithful over a few things, some of us, some of us, we don't want the trivial task. Now don't ask me to clean the toilet. Let me be the choir director. Don't ask me to pick up any trash that I see laying around. You know, let me lead the singing. Some of us want to be made ruler over many things when we've not yet proven that we could be faithful over a few. Hallelujah. In fact, I, I you know, I'm not trying to just be... you while you're down but some of you that are praying for financial blessings and praying for God to help you to, to help you to pay your bills and to help you to, to, to get out of this bind can I tell you that it could be it could be I'm not saying it is but it could be scripturally that the reason God has not blessed you financially is because what little he does give you you don't handle very well could be, could be. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the case all the time. Some people just can't handle blessings. Really. There are some people that can live for God in poverty that could never live for God in wealth. They'd turn their back on him. They'd forget him. They'd never pray. They'd never live for God again. But as long as they don't have anything, they're praying daily. They're asking God for their daily bread. So there are some people God just can't bless you because God wants to see you saved. But there are some that you could handle it if you would, but you just haven't proven yourself faithful in the few things. And God's waiting for you to prove yourself faithful in the few things. And then he'll be able to bless you with more. Well, praise God, hallelujah, glory to God, thank you, Jesus. Um. So, he says, well done, good, faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many. And, and he said this to a man that produced five extra talents. Okay, let's read on. Verse 22. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. Now, this man only brought back two more. Right? First man brought back five more. This man only brought back two more. What did the Lord say to him? His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Do you see that God gave him the same commendation? God rewarded him exactly the same for producing only two as he did the man who produced five. God is not looking at the quantity of production, but God is looking at 
What did you start with? And what did you end with? Not everyone is given the same amount. And so not everyone has to produce the same amount. I, I, listen, church, I want to I say this. And I know some of the things that I've said perhaps are a little uh, tough to, to swallow. But, but let, let, me, let me flip the coin over and, and give you some encouragement this morning. Can I tell you, there are men that have given their life on foreign soil to reach nations, to spread the gospel, and, and yet some of you, some of you, all you've done is maybe win one person to God, and that's it. But can I tell you that when you get to judgment day, God is not going to say, this man reached hundreds, you only reached one, you can't go to heaven. God's going to look and see if one was all you were capable of reaching, you're going to get the exact same reward as the man who reached hundreds. Too many of us are hampered by what we think we can never do. We have set a standard so high that we'll never be able to reach it. But I'm telling you, God has a different standard of what you need to accomplish based on what God knows about your abilities. And God doesn't expect you to be an Apostle Paul. In fact, there's a man by the name of Ananias in the scripture that I only read of him winning one person. Now he may have won more than that. I don't know, but I only read of him winning one. But that one was a man named Saul of Tarsus who became the apostle Paul. Now I'm going to tell you, I believe on judgment day, Ananias and apostle Paul will be able to stand side by side and get the same reward. I believe that. Even though Paul turned continents upside down, Paul reached all of Asia Minor with the gospel. Ananias reached one man. But I believe they'll be rewarded equally. Now again, that's not fair. But God doesn't work on the principle of fairness. And I'm glad he doesn't. Quite frankly, I'm glad God doesn't work on the principle of fairness because I could never accomplish what Paul accomplished. I could never be what Paul was. And if that's going to be the standard, I have no hope. Furthermore, if God's going to work on fairness, you know what would be fair to me? What would be fair to me would be for God just to fry me, send me straight to hell, and say it's over with. And never take another chance on me and never make another investment in me. That would be fair. Really, that would be fair. I'm glad God's not bound by rules of fairness, but God looks at us in mercy and love and compassion, long-suffering. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> so, so he says, he says to the, to the man who only brought back two, same thing that he said to the man who brought back five. Now, let's look now at what happens to the man who only had one. Matthew 25, verses 24 and 25. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, 
Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. I, went, see, this is where I told you. He, he, he says, the reason I did what I did is because I was afraid. All right, read. And went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. Now, let me, let me throw this out there for you. You can't call this man a backslider. You can't call him a backslider. He is not worse off than when he started. He started with one. He finished with one. He has everything he started with. Right? You can't say he's a backslider. You can't say he lost out. He didn't lose anything. He has just as much as he started with. But he had no more than he started with. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how hard it is for you to to skip ahead. Can can you? Um, can we skip ahead to verse 26, Matthew 25, verse 26? It's, it's printed for you there. Um, but verse 26, I just want to point this out to you, that the Lord saw beyond his excuses and revealed the real problem. Verse 26, what did he say? His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked, Thou wicked and slothful and, servant. And slothful servant the Lord said yeah I've heard all your excuses but let me tell you what the real problem is the real problem you ready for this the real problem you're lazy that's what slothful means that's just a real nice way of saying lazy you got all your excuses but the real problem is you're lazy that's what the Lord said to the man you are a lazy servant. You just didn't want to do anything with it. You didn't want to try. You were not willing to put forth the effort to try to do anything with what I gave you. It's easier just to bury it in the ground and forget about it and then go around bragging, well, I haven't lost my Holy Ghost. I hadn't lost my relationship. I'm still living for God. I'm still as good today as the day I got in. But you've done nothing about improving it. And God doesn't want us to stay the same. Hey, hey let, me, let me put it to you this way. If you're a parent, you know, the day a child was born, the day your child was born, that, that baby is beautiful. You look, it's got... Ten fingers, ten toes, two eyes, strong lungs. Everything looks great. It's wonderful. But what if 20 years later it still looked exactly like the day it was born? You wouldn't be very pleased with that, would you? In fact, three months later, you wouldn't be pleased. You expect some development to go on. Why is the spiritual any different? Some people come in, they, they have their experience with God, and they stay at that exact same spot for 20 years and brag about, I'm saved. 
But what progress have you made in 20 years? Are you closer to God today? Are you more spiritual today? Or are you still the crying baby that you were the day you were born again? God's wanting us to give a return on this investment. God's wanting us to do something about what he's placed inside of us. It's not enough to simply retain what we have. If you remember last week's lesson, what was it that caused the problem for the ten virgins? They had oil. They just didn't take any extra. That's what God's looking for us to do, is to do more than just get by. God expects action. God hates laziness. Oh, Jesus, help me here. This is not the way to win friends and influence people, but this is Bible. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Listen to this. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide. They have no guide. Overseer. They don't have an overseer. Or ruler. They don't have anybody standing over them telling them what to do. Provideth her meat in the summer. But yet the ant, the ant will work all summer long. And gathereth her food in the harvest. Yeah. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? See, see, the ant has nobody driving it. Nobody is cracking a whip. Nobody's standing over it. Nobody's checking the time clock. But the ant knows winter is coming, and i got to do something about it today. So I'm going to take today, and I'm going to work, because the day's coming. I'm not going to be able to find food. i got to prepare now. God said, an ant doesn't have anybody driving it to do these things. But it does it. Read, how long will thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Get a little sleep. Get a little sleep. A little, a sleep. little slumber. A little folding of the hands to sleep. Uh-huh. So shall thy poverty so shall thy come poverty as come. one that travel, and I want as an armed man. You know, there's a verse of Scripture that... Um, that a lot of people don't really like but it's still scripture is 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10 for even when we were with you this we commanded you that if any would not work that if somebody will not work neither should he eat now I don't want you to misunderstand he didn't say if somebody cannot work there is a big difference between someone who cannot work and someone who will not work. Those who cannot work, I say let's help them all we can help them. But those who will not work, Paul said, let them starve. That's hard, that's harsh, that's cruel, but that's Bible. Paul said if it's simply a matter of them not wanting to, then let them starve. I've often thought it's funny. If you ever go to any of the national parks in America, it says do not feed the wildlife because if you feed them, then, then they quit learning to hunt for their own and they start expecting, I mean, it doesn't say at least, but this is the rigging translation of what the signs that are posted there. You, you feed the wildlife, then, then they quit learning to forage for themselves and they start expecting handouts from all the tourists. Um... There's some wildlife in America that needs to learn that lesson. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, where was I? I got I to gotta get done here. Just, just a few more verses, and we're gonna, I'm going to let you go. And, um, but I'm trying to at least finish this parable so we can move on. Uh, next lesson. All right, so, so he says to him, he says to him, he said, you are a wicked. Now we're at verse 26 again, Matthew 25, 26. His the Lord, his the Lord, Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and you're wicked servant. and you're slothful. Thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and thou and gathered where I have not straw. Listen, listen. You may not have five talents. You may not have two talents. But there is no reason why you can't use the one God gave you. Are you still out there? You, you still? I, I didn't say I, you're dismissed yet, so don't, 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 don't leave yet. You may not have five, and you may not have two but you have no reason to not use the one God gave you. God invested in every person some ability, some talent, some good. God gave every one of you a job to do. Your job is not my job. My job is not yours. But there is a reason why he brought us together. And the problem is when you don't do your job, then someone else has to take it on when it's really not their job to do. You know, it's been said many, many times, but it's something we need to stop and think about. Do you know, and, and as a preacher, I've had to be a part of a lot of funerals, and, and without exception, every funeral I've been a part of, it has taken six good men to carry one dead one. And, and when you don't pull your weight and you don't do your part and you don't do what God put you in the church to do, it takes a lot of people having to make up for the one thing that you could get accomplished. This is an appeal to you today to quit excusing yourself on the basis that I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this. Forget about what you can't do and find out what you can do and then do it with all your might. There's something everybody can do. So I can't sing, I can't teach, I can't play, I can't. Well, can you pray? God knows we could use a whole lot of people that are praying. Can you invite someone else to church? We could use a lot of those folks too. I'm telling you, there's something you can do. Find your place. Find your place. And do what God has enabled you to do. He told this man, you're wicked, you're slothful, you're lazy. This is just not right. What else did he say? Verse 27. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Usury is just an old English word for interest. Here's what he said. The Riggin Revised Version is this. The least you could have done was put it in a savings account and draw a little interest on it. I mean, if you're not going to go out and try to do something with it, you know. I remember years ago when, when my family was newly in the church, uh, the church was wanting to, I forget now, I think we're getting ready to build a building. And, and so someone came up with this idea. They said, we're going to give out talent dollars. And said, what we're going to do, the church is going to invest 
$10. If you've got something you can do, you've got some talent, we're going to give you $10 to get started on that. You take that $10 and see how much money you can make. And, and so my, um, uh, my mom had started doing these candles. She'd gotten some candle molds, went out, took the $10, got candle molds and wax and scent, and she made these real nice candles and went out and sold the candles. And I don't know how much she ended up bringing in uh, off of the $10 that they invested. But this was just a principle. You take the 10, but you're going to make more than that. Bring the 10 back plus whatever you've made off of that 10. It's just to get you started. Th this, is, this is the idea, the concept behind what this man is saying. If you're not going to take this money and, and do something where you can make more with it, then the least you could do is go put it in, a, in an account somewhere and draw a little interest. That's not going to be much. But at least there's some progress. At least there's some gain. Well, so what happens to this man? Verses 28 through 30. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him with which hath ten talents. For unto no, no, every no, one. No, wait, 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 wait. That's not fair. That's not fair. This man was given five to begin with, and now he's got ten. And what does the Lord do? This other man only had one, and yet the Lord takes that one away and gives it to the guy that's already got ten. That's not fair. But that's the way God works. Why did the man with ten get it? Because this man had already been promised. You've been faithful. You've shown you can handle it. And I know if I give you this one, you're going to do something with this one. You're not going to bury the one like he did. So take the talent from him and give it to the man that has ten. And then what else? For unto everyone that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance but from from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath and cash well, sounds like our government today doesn't it but that's not what he's talking about but anyhow and cash ye the unprofitable you missed that altogether maybe you weren't paying attention said, for everyone that has to them shall be given and they'll have abundance but the hand that doesn't have they're going to take away what he does have Anyhow, all right, let's read there. I'm still not getting it. Go on. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Into outer darkness. There, shall be there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm telling you, this man, this man not only had his talent taken away from him, but he was eternally punished for one reason. He failed to do anything with what God gave him. This is an appeal to you today. Again, Again, we can't say this man was backslidden. He didn't lose the one he had. He just didn't make any progress. And I want to ask you today, where are you in your relationship with God? When you look at where you are right now, right at this moment, and think back to the day that God found you, how much progress have you made? How much closer to God are you today than you were back then? I, 
I believe the Lord is coming soon. And, and we cannot lose sight of the fact that that's what this parable really is all about. This parable really is trying to tell us we can't just sit around and do nothing waiting on the Lord to come back. But whatever God has given us, we need to be putting that to work for the good of his kingdom. We need to learn to use our abilities, our talents, our knowledge, our skills, and put them to work for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. The time is short. The Lord's coming back. We need to be examining ourselves and preparing ourselves for that day that is soon to come. Let's stand together, everyone. Let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. Would you pray a prayer right now of examination? God, search me. God, try me. God, know me, O oh Lord. God, I don't want to be found slothful. I want to be found faithful. I want you, God, to be able to see that I'm using what I've got. I may not have much, but I know you gave me something, God, and I want to use that for you. If you're here today without the power of the Holy Ghost, let me just tell you, God wants to make that investment in you. God wants to give you the greatest gift ever given to man. The power of his spirit dwelling inside of you will change you. It will enable you to live the way he wants you to live and to become what he wants you to be. All you've got to do is repent of your sins and ask God in faith to give you the Holy Ghost. God is not a respecter of persons. He did it for me, and he'll do it for you. This altar is open today. Is there anyone, anyone that wants to come and pray? Is there anyone that wants to come and just examine themselves and say, God, I, I just want to make sure that I'm not allowing my talent to be buried, but I'm doing something with what you gave me. Let's find a place to pray. Let's talk to the Lord.
to grow.